Open your Bibles with me to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah, now, how many of you, God's been good to you? Isn't that a blessing? God's been good to Israel, and He has some promises for them that we're going to be looking at. This morning, we're going to look at Zechariah chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse 8. And this is the first vision. Zechariah gives eight different visions. And those visions basically describe what's happening in Revelation chapters 5 and on. And this Zechariah is considered one of the most difficult books in the Bible to understand. But we're going to compare Scripture with Scripture and try to get a good understanding. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. So it is going to require you to have a Bible in your hand. So if you don't have a Bible with you, look under the seat in front of you. There's a Bible there. You're going to need to use it. We might be in some parts of the Scriptures that you're not familiar with, but just use the table of contents in your Bible and and try to follow along because what we're going to do is we're going to allow God to interpret this passage for us because the Bible says in the book of Genesis that interpretation belongs to God. The Bible says that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. So we're going to look at these figures, these pictures, in this uh, vision and try and get an understanding of it. I want to give you a little bit of, a, of an introduction to it, though. So we know that for us, we Gentiles, prophecy is prediction. So we have specific things that we're looking for. The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So specifically, we're looking for the return of Christ. He's going to come and take all the believers with Him. And then after that, he's going to uh, have seven years of tribulation on this earth. Halfway through the seven years, three and a half years in, the beast, the Antichrist, is going to set up an image of himself. He's going to defile the Holy of Holies in the newest uh, temple. And he's going to reveal himself to be that, that man of sin. At the end of the tribulation period, Jesus Christ is going to return. There's going to be the judgment of the nations. Jesus Christ will judge all the nations based on how they have treated Jesus Christ or how they have treated Israel. We find that in Matthew chapter 25 with the sheep and the goats and the judgment of the nations. After that, we go into the kingdom. The Lord restores the earth. He heals the land and He establishes 1,000 years of uh, peace and prosperity throughout the whole globe for everyone that is allowed to live that long. Then at the end of the tribulation, Satan is loosed, or at the end of the millennium, Satan is loosed. And those that have not followed Christ in the kingdom, they follow Satan. They come against Israel, and God ultimately destroys them with just the word of his mouth. No armies necessary. And from then on, we go out into eternity with God. So what is that? For the, for the Gentile mind, prophecy is prediction. This happens, and then this happens, and then this happens. For the Jew, prophecy is pattern. Prophecy is pattern. Uh, Keep your place in Zechariah. Go to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, Jesus Christ is beginning His ministry on earth. And He goes into the temple. And if you look at verse 15, John chapter 2, verse 15... And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the money, uh, poured out the changers money and overthrew the tables. And he said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house an house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. So Jesus comes in and thousands of people there and he by himself runs everybody out of the temple that's causing trouble. He must have really been something. That's our Savior. 
But then look at what the Jews said. Such a weird response. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? How many think that's a weird reaction to that? What sign are you trying to show us? That's not what we would say. But see, the Jews were looking for a sign from the Messiah. The Bible says that the Greeks seek after wisdom, but the Jews require a sign. So for the Jews, when we read these Old Testament prophecies, there are all kinds of pictures and types and images that are given, but they are defined for us in the Bible. They're not left to speculation. They're defined for us in the Bible. So let's go to Zechariah and let's try to get an idea of what some of these signs are for the Jews and then what specific detailed prophecies we as Gentiles can get from it. So let's start reading in verse 7. I think I said verse 8, but let's start reading in verse 7. And we're going to read through verse 17. Upon the fourth and twentieth day of the eleventh month, which is in Mount Sabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord uh, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo the prophet. Now, how many of you are already blessed? That's such a meaningful and, and emotional text. All right, verse 8. I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse. And he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom, and behind him were their red horses speckled and white. Then said I, O my Lord, what are these? And the angel that talked with me said unto me, I will show thee what these be. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord hath sent to walk to and fro through the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah, against which thou hast had indignation these three score and ten years? And the Lord answered the angel, and the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. And I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. For I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. Therefore, Thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion and shall choose Jerusalem. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is a difficult passage of Scripture, but there's so much truth in it. So, Father, I pray that in these few minutes that we have to study it, that we'll get something from you and we'll understand our Bibles better. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we are a Bible-believing church. That is that we believe every word of the Bible that we hold in our hands. We believe every word and every word is of God and every word of God is pure, the Bible says. The Bible says, thy word is true from the beginning. And so we believe every word of this. We also believe that the natural man cannot receive the things of God for they are foolishness unto him they're, because they're spiritually discerned and we understand them by comparing things spiritual with spiritual that's first corinthians chapter 2 john 663 jesus defines that for us he says the flesh profiteth nothing the words that i speak unto you they are spirit and they are life so we understand the bible 
by comparing the words of Scripture. They are spirit and they are life. We saw last week that there's one thing that will judge people in the last days. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. And so by looking at the Bible, the Bible defines itself. We're going to see some amazing things in this text. And we're going to start with verse 7. Upon the four and twentieth day of the eleventh month, which is the month Sebat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah. I want you to notice something in that it says, came the word of the Lord. Came the word of the Lord. That statement is, is made 14 times in the book of Zechariah. This isn't the prophecy of Zechariah. This is the prophecy of God to Zechariah. And Zechariah communicated it to us. Remember, repetition in the Bible is God's volume control. So that came the word of the Lord, came the word of the Lord, came the word of the Lord. This is a supernatural transmission from God through Zechariah to Israel. And we get the opportunity to read it. Isn't that amazing? I guess GQ just put out this list of books that should be digitally burned. And they say the Bible is the most overrated book in history. They're just idiots. Amen? They're just idiots. First of all, nobody buys GQ. And so they're trying to get this information. I can tell nobody buys it by the way you guys are dressed. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it, it's so interesting that they feel like, and it's not just some editorial, it's the editors. It's the position of that magazine that the Bible is overrated. Do you know what that tells me? They've never read it. They don't understand it. They're the natural man. They don't understand the things of the Spirit of God. How many of you believe every word of the Bible? You believe that today. Young people, you're going to learn some things. And I know you're tired. I can tell. Some of you are sleepy. But you're going to see how to God interprets things for us in the Scriptures today. So really try to stay plugged in with this. So the first thing that I want you to see is that, that God is the one speaking. It says that it came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah. The other thing that I want you to see, verse 7, upon the four and twentieth day, that 24th day of the month, that's the day that the children of Israel, in obedience, began rebuilding the temple. And that 24th day is memorialized at least three times in this prophecy. And what is God doing? God not only identifies what we do wrong, He wants us to remember what we do right. He wants to reinforce those things that we do right. Now, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church at Corinth, he's commending them because they keep the ordinances as he's delivered them. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, verses 1 and 2. There, he, we, we try to commend people when they do right. Last week when I preached that text, be not as your fathers. It's wonderful to be able to tell the young people, look at the men in these church. It's a blessing to be able to look at these men where God could say, hey, be like your fathers. So it's good when we can do something well and that God can commend us for it. The flip side of that is, wouldn't it be awful if God had to say to our kids, don't be like your fathers? It's a challenge for us men to do that, isn't it? So here in this text, we're starting to see something that's very interesting. That 4 and 20th day, he reinforces that. But then it says the 11th month, that's the 11th month on the Jewish calendar. But then it gives a name to that 11th month. And it says, which is the month of Sebat. Do you see that? the month of Sebat, the second, in the second year of Darius. Now, Darius was the king of Babylon, or the Persian king who had conquered Babylon. And it, this is really important. Hold your place here. Go to Isaiah chapter 6. I want you to see a distinction. Here 
All right, Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, do you see that? In the year that King Uzziah died. This is just an illustration that when God was speaking to the nation of Israel before the exile, before they were taken into captivity, He would date it by their kings, by the kings of Judah, by the kings of Israel, by the Jewish kings. All right, look at the distinction. Go back to Zechariah chapter 1. Look at verse 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius. See, now they're dating it by Gentile kings. That's a big difference. God's people are now under the control of Gentile kings. This is important information for Israel. They're not governing themselves anymore. And they never will until the king returns. This is identified for us. So keep your place in Zechariah chapter 1. Go to Luke chapter 21 and verse 24. All right, Luke 21, 24. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all... What's that say? So there's one nation that is God's nation. It's Israel. The rest of the nations are the Gentile nations. All right? That's an important distinction. If you want to understand your Bible, when God's dealing with the nations, that's everyone except Israel. All right? They should be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the who? Of the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. The times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles began in 606 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar captured Israel and led them into captivity. From that point on, that we are now living in the times of the Gentiles. All right? So this times of the Gentiles is when the nation of Israel is under the authority of Gentile nations. So even Israel today, the only way Israel today can be a nation is because they have the protection of the United States. It's real quiet. I'm just telling you, if it wasn't for us, they wouldn't be there. It's very important that we get that. And so the interaction of the United States and Israel is very important. And we're going to talk about some more of that in a minute, hopefully. But it's really important that we understand that the times of the Gentiles is the time when the Gentile kings rule the earth. God identified that for them in Daniel chapter 2 with that image. It began with Babylon. Babylon is conquered by Persia. Persia is then conquered by Greece. Greece is conquered by Rome. And the Roman Empire has never really ended. It divided into two legs that you have in that image, the eastern uh, and the western. And the western has never gone away. We still have the nation of Italy, Rome, and, and the Roman Catholic institution that is still ruling there in the Vatican. The eastern part fell, and you know, you have the, the Seljuk Turks. They took over, and the Ottoman Empire rose. The Ottoman Empire existed until World War I. And all of that is coming back together. But you have, so you have these Gentile kingdoms that God says will define the rest of history after the book of Daniel. All right? So you have the Babylonian kingdom, the Persian kingdom, the Greek kingdom, the Roman kingdom. And then in the tribulation, you have the revived Roman kingdom, that which actually rules the world again. That's the plan. That's what's going to happen. So it's important that you see that this is dealing with the times of the Gentiles. The other thing that I want you to see is that it gives the exact date. 
So the four and twentieth day of the eleventh month, which is the month Sebat in the second year of Darius. All right, so it gives that. This is February 15th, 519 B.C. This is such a difference between the other religious books in the world. If you read the Book of Mormon, if you read um, the Quran, if you read the, the different Hindu writings, these exact datings of activities, it's so different. So, Darius, if you went to Iran today, there's a rock, I've lost the name, the Rock of Bashtun, I think is what it's called, and it identifies, it was done by Darius, this king that we're talking about here, to talk about his conquest. So look it up. You can see it has in cuneiform, it has a history of it, and then it has this frieze on the it, rock, uh, carved into a rock, kind of like Mount Rushmore, where it describes the conquests of Darius. These are historical figures. If you go to the British Museum today, you could see the cylinder of Cyrus. Cyrus was the king of Babylon from 539 B.C. to 530 B.C. And in this cylinder, it's as you know what a cylinder looks like. It's smaller on the ends, larger in the middle, with writing in cuneiform that gives the history of Cyrus's conquest of Babylon and how he ended up allowing the people to go back into their lands, how he rebuilt their temples and gave them back their temple implements. This is extra-biblical reinforcement of what you have here. But remember, nobody knew those other things existed when they had the Bible. This is our authority, and it is confirmed by archaeology, and there are specific dates and events that are identified here in the text. Guys, that ought to excite us. This book is not overrated. It's the most important historical document in the world if it were not inspired and preserved. It's the most important historical document that we have in the world. These are specific dates. I'll tell you how specific it is. The day the visions came was the 24th day of the 11th month. Shabbat was the Babylonian name of the 11th month, and it was adopted by the Jews after the exile. This date is five months after the building of the temple resumed. Five months. Three months after Zechariah's first prophecy. Two months after Haggai's last prophecy. The Bible gives us those exact dates for a reason. Something is going to happen here. But I want you to see they're calling this month Sabbat. Sometimes it's pronounced Shabbat. Do you remember what we saw when we looked in the Psalms by the rivers of Babylon? How can we sing the songs of Zion in a strange land? And they hung their harps on the willows because they couldn't stand to be away from the temple of God. Well, now they've been in Babylon for 70 years, and now this is 16 years later. And even their calendar is Babylonian. Their language is Babylonian. It's hard for us to understand how much something can change in 80 years. Think about how the United States has changed in 80 years. Do you know that 80 years ago they knew what a boy was and what a girl was? Isn't it wild how things have changed? There's just this thing in Manhattan where they have discerned that there are 31 different genders. Now, honestly, I'm offended by that. How can they limit it to just 31? Is that the stu Honestly, tell me, tell me you're not. Is that the stupidest thing you've ever heard? Right? The Bible says male and female created they them. If you dig up a body a thousand years from now, they'll say, oh, that was a boy. That was a girl. Not one of those other 29. This is what it is because we believe in science. Isn't that right? The, has the world changed in 80 years? Imagine how... The world for the Jews changed during that Babylonian captivity, and they had become like the Babylon, Babylons, like the Babylonians. 
All right? They were like them. But then look at the, the actual vision. Now, all of these visions happened in one night. And look at verse 8. It says this, I saw by night. Do you see that? I saw by night. Night in your Bible is a reference to the church age when we live or to the tribulation. How do I know that? Look at Isaiah chapter 21. And of course, keep your place in Zechariah. But look at Isaiah chapter 21. And I'm going to try and fly through this so that the service doesn't go too long. But this is really going to help us to understand it. All right, Isaiah chapter 21, and look at verse 11. The burden of Duma, he calleth to me out of Seir, Watchmen, watchmen, what of the night? Watchmen, watchmen, what of the night? Now, maybe in another service when we have time, I want to go through and talk about the watchmen and who that is. We'll see a text in a minute in the New Testament that will help us to identify it. But watchmen, watchmen, what of the night? Look at verse 12. The watchman said, The morning cometh, and also the night. If ye will inquire, inquire ye, return, come. But look at the, look at the, uh, the order there. The morning cometh, and also the night. Well, we know what the morning is. Um, can you keep your place here and go to Malachi chapter 4? You'll find Zechariah again. Malachi chapter 4. That's Malachi for bluegrass players. <laughs> Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as the stall. We're looking for Jesus Christ to appear, aren't we? That Son of Righteousness. Let's see if this has anything to do with us. Go to Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 19. I had to do some extra studying last night for this. And Linda said, my sister, she said, you don't have to tell us everything you know about the passage tomorrow. So we might do a three-hour service just for her. All right. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. What's, that's, so Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19. The, the, so the word of God that you hold in your hands is more sure than the audible voice of God. That's what this passage is saying. He talks about the Mount of Transfiguration, verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well, that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. That day star, that's our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the Lord, Jesus Christ. Isn't that just an awesome thing? Man, I love that. I love seeing that in the Scriptures. Look at Revelation 22. Verse 19. Um, look at verse 16, I'm sorry. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. 
I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. That's Jesus Christ. In the NIV study Bible, in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 14, where the Bible speaks of Lucifer, and it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? They put a cross-reference to this. Can I tell you something? Lucifer is not the bright and morning star. Jesus Christ is the bright and morning star. So go back to Isaiah chapter 21, and I want you to see something. In verse 12, it says, The watchman said, The morning cometh, and also the night. You know, when the Bible talks about Jesus Christ establishing His kingdom, there is no more night. There's not even the need for the sun, because Jesus Christ is the light. Isn't that right? So what is this talking about? Jesus Christ comes back from us, and then the tribulation happens. And that is night. That is very dark. So how do we know that that's when that's talking about? Look at verse 9. We're back in Isaiah chapter 21, verse 9. And behold, here cometh a chariot of men with a couple of horsemen. And he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and all the graven images of her gods hath, he hath broken unto the ground. So right now Babylon has been destroyed, but it's not completely destroyed. Saddam Hussein was actually rebuilding Babylon. It's an actual city in Iraq. It is going to grow again. It is, remember, the Bible is a tale of two cities. The Bible mentions Jerusalem, the city of God, 300 times, and Babylon, the city of Satan, 280 times. Babylon is going to be rebuilt, and ultimately God himself is going to destroy and crush Babylon. When is that going to happen? After the morning, in the night, before he starts his millennial rest for his people. That's what's coming. So go back to Zechariah chapter 1. That's the context for this vision. So Zechariah 1 verse 8, I saw by night and behold a man riding upon a red horse. So the, the context of this is he is describing what is going to happen with Israel, with Babylon in the, at the end of the times of the Gentiles and the tribulation. I saw by night, and behold, a man riding a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle. So this man riding a red horse, we'll see that it's the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ. So there are two angels that are identified here. There's the angel of the Lord, and then the angel that spoke with me, the angel that talked with me. The angel that talked with me in this vision is a different angel than the angel of the Lord. All right? The red horse, uh, maybe in another service I'll take the time to go through and explain all of this. But the red horse here, it's, it's judgment, it's death, it's, it's all of those things. Think of the four horsemen in uh, Revelation chapter 6. Jesus is not riding any of those. But here he's riding this red horse. And I don't have time to explain the uh, Revelation 6 this morning. We'll do that another time. All right. So he says, I saw by night and behold a man riding upon a red horse and he stood among the myrtle trees, the myrtle trees. That, that, the myrtle is identified with Israel. So it's a, it's a picture of Israel all through the scriptures. In the, the Feast of Tabernacles, they would use those myrtle bushes to make their booths where they would tabernacle with God in the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember, the Feast of Tabernacles is fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes back and tabernacles, lives with his people for a thousand years. So this myrtle, it's dealing with Israel in rest in the millennium. All right? So this is talking about this rest that's coming. Something fun about that myrtle. Do you know what that word is in Hebrew? Hadassah. 
What name is Hadassah to us? Esther. Esther. So notice what it says about this myrtle. It says, and I, how many of you know somebody named Myrtle? Right? You know, you know a Myrtle. Yeah. How many of you are glad God that, that your parents didn't name you Myrtle? Yes. All right. Um, so it says, verse eight again. I saw by night, and behold, a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom. So in the bottom. So you, you understand that you have the mountains, and then you'd have a a holler, right? This isn't, you know, holla. This is the holler. And that's the bottom. The idea here is that Israel is going to have their millennial rest. But at this point and throughout the times of the Gentiles, they are going to be in the bottoms. And they are today. It's an interesting thing. All right, so let's keep going. Uh, verse 9, or verse, verse 8 still. I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom, and behind him there were their red horses speckled and white. Man, I've read all kinds of things about this. Nobody really knows what that's talking about, so I'm not going to make stuff up. That, that nobody knows what that's talking about. All right, so let's keep going. Then verse 9. And then I, or then I said, O oh my Lord, what are these? And the angel that talked with me, do you see that's a different angel than the angel of the Lord? The angel that talked with me said unto me, I will show thee what these be. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord hath sent to walk to and fro throughout the earth or through the earth. One of the things that we're going to do with our Bible study this summer is we're going to be uh, we're going to continue with our series in Zechariah on Sunday, but on Wednesday nights, we're going to go through, and I'm going to show you exactly what that means, to and fro in the earth. We're going to trace that out through the Scriptures. We're going to trace what the horses mean through Scriptures. It, you're, you're just going to be amazed at how much the Bible has to say about these and how we'll understand it from the Bible. We don't have the time to do that right now, but we're going to break that down. Then look at what it says in verse uh, 11. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees. See how that the angel of the Lord is the same as the man? That's the man Christ Jesus. All right. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees. Oh, I like this. Where is Jesus Christ when Israel is in trouble? He's in the middle of them. He's not rejected them. He's with them. It says, We have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. See, that sounds good to us. But the Bible says, Woe to him that saith peace, peace, when there is no peace. So they are at rest because the Gentile nations are at rest and are in control. All right, We'll see that this is negative here in a minute. It doesn't appear to be negative yet, but you'll see that it is. Verse 12. And the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah against which thou hast had indignation these threescore and ten years? So there was 70 years, and now Babylon will be judged, and they already have. Persia is in charge. But they're saying, how is everything at rest? How are these Gentile nations not judged yet? Look at Zechariah chapter 14. Verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. 
For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. Do you see that? Verse 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. So this judgment, this, this rest that the nations feel right now, that's not forever. God is going to come and fight against these nations. Do you see that's what this verse is saying? It is going to happen. All right, so back in chapter 1. How long is this going to happen? Verse 13. And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. So what's going to happen now is there are three declarations that God makes and four words of comfort. And that's the message of this vision. All right, verse 13. And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, a great jealousy. Okay, a couple of things that I want you to see right here. Um, Look at these three declarations. The first declaration that I want you to see is, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great jealousy. Do you see that in verse uh, 14? I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. This is the first statement that God says that He needs to make. What is this concept of jealousy? It would be fun to trace it down through the Bible, but we're just going to do a little, a, a, a quick explanation of it here. Jealousy is one of the attributes of God. He says, I am a jealous God. Now, we think of jealousy as a negative thing, as some kind of a paranoid thing. But it's not. Jealousy is one of the attributes of God. You know, there are a lot of people that don't like the fact that God's a jealous God. So, like GQ, criticizing them. These new atheists, the way that they talk about God, the way that they demean God. They think of His jealousy as being petty. The reason for that is, keep your place here, but go to James chapter 4. Look at verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. That's where most of the world is now. They love the world and they hate God. They love the world and they reject God, and God is jealous over His people. So, jealousy is normal in a love relationship. It's normal. Uh, I don't want Laura spending time with other men. Laura doesn't want me spending time with other women. You know, you hear about people having open relationships. That's not love. Love is jealous. Amen? And this is identified for us in the love of God. So what do do I mean by this? Well, the reason a man ends up in hell is because of the jealousy of God. Think about this. The Lord loved you enough to send His Son to die in your place and take the judgment you deserved for sin in Himself. He sent His Holy Spirit to convict you of your sin and to woo you to Jesus Christ. He gave you His Word containing exceeding great and precious promises of salvation, 2 Peter 1.4. And with all that, they turn Him down. With all of that, they turn him down. How do you think the Lord's going to react to that? He's a jealous God. He loves his son, and he's jealous for his people. 
He's jealous for His righteousness. This is God setting His affection on one city and one place in that city. Go back to Zechariah and look at what it says. Middle of verse 14. I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. So Zion is a mountain in Jerusalem. And so God is saying, I'm very jealous for this particular spot. Boy, that particular spot right now is controlled by people that do not love Him. He's jealous about that. So His first statement is, I am jealous for Jerusalem. I am jealous. Then look at the next statement that He makes. Um, verse 14, verse 15. He says, I am very sore displeased with the heathen. Sore displeased, we've looked at that in this study. That's really bad. <laughs> okay? It is really bad. And then look at what it says. I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. For I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. So I was a little bit upset with them, but now the way, because of the way they've treated Israel, now they are really in trouble. So these declarations, I'm jealous over Jerusalem, I'm sore displeased with the heathen. That means some bad things are about to happen. The next thing that he says is he is sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. They're comfortable with it. They don't fear God. How many of you think that the nation, how many of you think that Iran fears the God of the Bible? China fears the God of the Bible. How many of you think the United States fears the God of the Bible? See, the Bible talks about all of these nations. Keep your place here. Go to Isaiah chapter 40. People often ask the question, where is the United States mentioned in the Bible? It's right here. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 15. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. Look at verse 17. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. That's what the nations are to God. He loves his people. He loves Israel. That's what this is saying. He's jealous over Israel. And these nations that are at ease, he is sore displeased with them. Let's look at the next declaration. Verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. He's not done with Israel. He is coming back. So his declarations are this. I'm jealous over Jerusalem and Zion. I'm sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. And I'm coming back to Jerusalem. That's the promise. Those are the declarations that God makes to Israel through Zechariah. Let's look at the four comforting words and we'll be done. The first is the same as the third declaration. I'm coming to Jerusalem. He had left, but he's coming back. Then look at what it says in verse uh, 16. Thus, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it. The temple is going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem, saith the Lord of hosts. And then, look at this, another comforting word. A line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. What is that? This is, this is a builder's measure. The idea of a line, it's going to be rebuilt. Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be the city of God. That's going to happen. And then, the last of these comforting words. Look at what it says, verse 17. Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad. And the Lord yet shall yet comfort Jerusalem and shall yet choose Jerusalem. He's going to choose them again. Are they God's chosen people now? Yes. 
So this idea that the church replaced Israel, God's done with Israel, you hear a lot of people teaching that, it is completely false. God will again choose Israel. He's coming back. They're His people. Romans chapter 11, verse 29 says that the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. So what is the message of this vision? It's in the times of the Gentiles. We are in the times of the Gentiles right now. Israel is not back in the land. We'll talk about that in another service. They're back in a little bit of the land. It's better than not being in the land at all. But they don't even have control of the Temple Mount. Right? The Dome of the Rock, the Mosque of Omar. That's on the Temple Mount. The, the, uh, the other mosque, oh, what's the name of it? The, their, most, their most popular mosque, their most important mosque. It's on the Temple Mount. The Temple is not on the Temple Mount. So they're not back yet, but they're going to be. They're going to be. And it is going to be God's city again. He is coming back. He's going to choose Jerusalem again. So what does this tell us? Believe God. Believe His Word. Whatever God says about your life, it will come true. Whatever God demands of you, He will demand of you. Whatever God promises you, He will fulfill it. And the whole point of Zechariah is finish the work. Finish the work. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,